Support for MindShift comes from Landmark College, offering a fully online graduate-level certificate in learning differences and neurodiversity programs. Visit landmark.edu certificate to learn more. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. I'm Welcome to MindShift, where we explore the future of learning and how we raise our kids. I'm Kara Newhouse. And I'm Nima Gobier. Today we're talking about something that isn't usually in school curriculum, how to say I'm sorry. Students don't get graded for it, but apologizing is a learned skill. And it can be hard. Richie, I am sincerely... <laughs> Font, you don't have to say you're sorry. Good, I won't. That was Fonzie in the classic sitcom Happy Days. In the show, his inability to say sorry was a running joke. But it's true that a lot of people have trouble saying those words. And that's not the only way to mess up an apology. We've all heard bad apologies. Someone might say they're sorry, but never say what for. What occurred was unintentional. They might apologize for someone else's feelings instead of their own actions. I apologize to anyone who feels like they got scammed from me. They might try to justify their actions or soften their admission of responsibility by saying, this isn't really who they are. I have tried to live my life in a way which can make those around me proud of me. And until recently, I think I was doing a pretty good job. Those clips were from apologies by pop singer Justin Timberlake, fitness influencer Brittany Dawn, and R&B singer Chris Brown. Kids hear bad apologies on TV, in the news, and in their own lives all the time. And they aren't usually taught how to do it better. But there's hope. In today's episode, we'll learn the elements of a good apology. And we'll meet a fifth grade teacher who's helping her students learn the right way to say I'm sorry. That's all after the break. Talking about money can be so hard, especially when the person you're talking to is still learning how to do long division. That's why Million Bazillion, a Webby-winning podcast from Marketplace, is here to help. I'm Bridget, and with my fellow co-host Ryan, we help teach your little ones about complex topics like bankruptcy, climate change, and why there's so much gold at Fort Knox, and so much more. Listen to Million Bazillion wherever you get your podcasts. 
all over the country. We need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now. Psychologists and researchers have developed a variety of models for how to give a good apology. They all have a few things in common. Acknowledging what happened and the harm it caused. Actually saying, I'm sorry. Offering a way to repair harm. And committing to not repeat the behavior. Kara, we've already heard some examples of what bad apologies sound like. Let's hear a good example. I talked to Eva Lewis, who works in public engagement for state government. She told me about a pretty big mistake she made as a senior in college. She was supposed to write an honors thesis analyzing foreign aid in developing countries. And I thought I had a resource that had the data I needed for those 40 countries. Um, But then when I got into the data, it did not. It only had like 28 other countries and there was missing data. She told her professor. The professor notified the academic dean that Eva was at risk of not finishing her thesis. Eva was stressed. So my sister um, gave me a good point. She was like, hey, go talk to the academic dean, apologize, and talk about how you're going to rectify it. And me, I would have never thought about this. So I made an appointment with the academic dean, and as soon as I sat down with her, I said, hey, I just want to apologize. Like, I didn't do what I needed to do. I should have looked at the data before, completely before saying I was going to do this, this, set and this, that. The dean was surprised. She'd heard plenty of excuses from students in her career. But apologies, not so much. And she just stared at me and she was like, no one's ever, no one's ever done that. Eva worked out a plan to narrow the focus of her thesis and find some additional data. Did you graduate? Yes, I did, with honors. (laughs) Kara, that does sound like a pretty good apology. She acknowledged what she'd done wrong, actually said, I'm sorry, and made a plan to fix the problem. The other thing I love about Eva's story is that her sister suggested she apologize and gave her tips for how to do it. Most of us don't get models like that as kids or even as young adults. I think there are lots of people who just think of apology as something that that mean people force you to do. Now they're a grown-up, nobody can make them apologize, and they're not going to. That's Susan McCarthy. She's one of the creators of Sorry Watch, a website that analyzes apologies in the news, pop culture, and history. We take them apart and we say, this is good and here's why. This is bad and here's why. It turns out that there's a big appetite out there for, why did that apology not leave me feeling good? Susan and her Sorry Watch partner, Marjorie Ingle, also wrote a book. It's called Sorry, 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 The Case for Good Apologies. In one chapter, Susan and Marjorie write about the things grown-ups get wrong when dealing with children and apologies. Sometimes when a parent or a teacher just wants kids to stop fighting, they'll tell everyone involved to say sorry without finding out what really happened. It takes longer, but when adults make time and space to listen to children who are fighting, the kids can feel heard. That makes it more likely that when they do say, I'm sorry, they'll mean it. Another thing that grown-ups often do is lecture kids after they've already apologized. 
Susan compared this to a mistake new dog owners make. Imagine you've got an energetic puppy running around, and it doesn't come when you call it. You call its name a few times, and when it finally comes, you yell, bad dog. You're not rewarding the dog for coming, you're punishing it for coming. So the next time the dog goes, eh, she's calling me, but she's just going to get mad at me, so I'll just stay out of arm's reach. So when an adult scolds a child after they've apologized, it creates a link in the child's brain between saying sorry and that negative reaction. Marjorie, Susan's co-author, suggested a better way to respond. When a kid apologizes to you, even though you're angry for the thing that the kid is apologizing for, you know, I think we have to take a step back and have the first response be, thank you for apologizing. I know that was difficult. Where do you think we go from here? Kara, everything we've talked about so far is about how to respond after a problem occurs. What can we do to proactively teach kids about apologies before they need to give one? Nima, we don't usually think about it this way, but learning social-emotional skills is like playing a sport or an instrument. You need to learn some basics and practice in a supportive setting before you can apply it when the stakes are higher. I met a fifth-grade teacher who's creating that kind of learning space for her students. Because it's hard to teach this sort of lesson in the heat of the moment. I hear a lot of, I'm sorry, and then they move on. But the other person's still sitting there like, what is happening? Dr. Raina Friedman teaches at Jordan Jackson Elementary School in Mansfield, Massachusetts. Since fifth grade is the final year before middle school, it's her job to prepare students for that. She sees this goal as more than just academic. I feel that I am teaching kids life skills beyond how to solve a math problem or how to read and decode a text. Those are things that state standards, right? Common core that we have to teach. But I teach humans. One of the ways this idea of teaching humans comes into play is during morning meetings. That's when the class does activities that Dr. Friedman designed to help her fifth graders figure out who they want to be in the world. We do a lot of talking about what a brave space is. We read this poem from Facing History and Ourselves that talks about how there's no such thing as a safe space, that there's only brave spaces, and standing up and being honest and reflective in those spaces, and then we die. Dr. Friedman's students explore topics like kindness and community. They share their passions and their dreams. And for two weeks in January, they learn how to say, I'm sorry, in a meaningful way. We really start off with discussing like when you're told to apologize and then when you want to apologize, which are two different things that are the kids are taken aback when we start. And then we go through. Dr. Friedman uses a seven step model for apologies. One of her students, Caleb Huffinus, got a lot out of the lessons, so he'll help share the steps. We start off with saying what you're sorry for. I'm sorry for. Before moving on to step two, which is saying why it was wrong. It was wrong because. Then we go on to the third step, which is accepting full responsibility. I accept full responsibility for what I did slash said. And then asking how to make amends is step four, which gets into having a conversation with the person because you recognize that that other person's hurt. How can I make this better? The fifth step is committing to not doing it again. Moving forward, I promise to. The sixth step is asking for forgiveness. Will you accept my apology? The seventh step is to thank the person they're talking to. 
thank you for bringing this to my attention. The students roleplay each step with scenarios, like tripping a classmate at recess or plagiarizing their homework. Just getting them to talk and have a conversation about it is huge. Dr. Friedman teaches one step per day. After all the role-playing, the class spends a few days discussing good and bad apologies. A lot of them had no idea there was more to it than I'm sorry. In fact, all of them. And then when we got into what's not an apology, you hear the snickers because you know that that's what they've been doing. The students also write down some of their reflections. Here's what one of them wrote. Sometimes I feel under pressure because I did something and I don't want to accept full responsibility. I try to do it, but I don't have the guts to do it sometimes. But from now on, I'm going to accept responsibility. And that's out of the mouth of a fifth grader. When I talked to Caleb, who gave us the apology steps earlier, he said that before these lessons, he'd never done most of these steps. Like number five, promising not to repeat the mistake. Now, he thinks that's important. Because if you don't commit to not doing this again, they might think that you would um, do that again to them and might not stay friends with you. Caleb noticed that when classmates used these steps, their apologies felt more sincere. It made a difference when he apologized to others, too. I feel like the person appreciates it much more that I actually care about saying sorry and not just saying sorry and being over with it. Caleb's mom, Samantha Huffinus, noticed a difference in her fifth grader, too. Caleb has actually gotten much better about apologizing just in the very very uh, <laughs> recent past, um, I've noticed a really big change. He used to um, send text messages when he felt like he owed an apology to one of us, usually his dad or I. Um, and the other day he came downstairs and he apologized and he, he accepted it. And it was, it really made a huge difference because before it kind of just seemed like he did it because he felt like he should say something, either because he was in trouble and knew, and knew he should apologize or whatever the case may be. But coming down and actually, you know, doing some of those steps that he learned really made a difference to me receiving the apology and making it seem a lot more genuine. So, Kara, Caleb was able to do something a lot of adults don't do, apologize face to face. He's not the only one. In the three years she's taught these lessons, Dr. Friedman has heard from other parents who noticed their children using these steps with their siblings. She's also heard from other teachers about her students apologizing to kids at recess. Often when kids hurt someone or break a rule, they get caught up in the fear and shame that comes with knowing that they did something wrong. They're thinking, am I gonna get in trouble? And how can I avoid getting in trouble? Learning how to apologize gives them a different path forward. And so these types of lessons really build empathy in kids because now they're able to clearly understand that even though I don't might not realize I did something wrong, I still hurt this other human being somehow. Dr. Friedman has even heard about her students using what they learned to advocate for themselves when they're being treated unfairly. I've heard it from families before, where at the dinner table, the child's teaching them, no, you don't apologize like that. Like, that's too rushed. You're not listening to me and my feelings. 
Good apologies require empathy, perspective taking, honesty, and courage, all things that schools and parents try to cultivate in children. Dr. Friedman said that teaching these lessons has made her more intentional about her own apologies. She stopped saying sorry for things just because someone told her to. And she's conscious of modeling true apologies to her students. I've had to do some big apologies, right? Like, even to kids. Like, I did not know that this could have been taken this way, and let's talk about what that means and how it makes you feel, and, you know, I'm going to accept responsibility, and I'm not going to use those words anymore. Dr. Friedman created the Apologies Lessons in 2020 after going through several years of diversity, equity, and inclusion training. That work helped her reflect on things she had said or done in the past that were hurtful or offensive, even if she didn't know it at the time. If we could all apologize when we say things like that to people who are different than us, regardless of if it's religion, political, you know, sex, gender, whatever it is, we'd probably be in a better place. And that's being in the brave space, right? When grown-ups model humility and give kids tools to put apologies into action, they can help young people be in the brave space, at school, at home, and as they grow into the future. Thank you to Raina Friedman, Caleb and Samantha Huffiness, Susan McCarthy, Marjorie Ingle, and Eva Lewis. Thanks also to Nico Ewan for reading the student reflection. The MindShift team includes Nima Gobier, Ki Sung, Marlena Jackson Rotondo, and me, Kara Newhouse. Our editor is Chris Hambrick. Chris Hoff engineered this episode. Jen Chien is KQED's director of podcasts. Katie Springer is podcast operations manager. Audience engagement support from Cesar Saldana. Holly Kernan is KQED's chief content officer. MindShift is supported in part by the generosity of the William and Flora Hewlett Foundation and members of KQED. Thank you for listening. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? It's history, it's people, it's unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on The Bay Curious Podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get The Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.